0: The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Town Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkee Town, please visit our website at www.durkeeTown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N.org. And you can be seated. Genesis 14 is where we'll be. Uh, I hope you have your Bibles with you and your Bibles open. Nice job today, we have a cool bass player back there, That's good home from college, Abby, cool also on the violin there, home from wherever, great, all right, and visitors, uh, just so great to have everybody here, Genesis 14, and if you're new to our church, we hope you feel a very warm welcome and I mean that uh, both, you know, emotionally as well as the room seems very hot this morning, and I apologize for that. I don't know why, but anyway, there it is. In her, um, in her excellent book titled Christmas, The Season of Life and Light, Dr. Emily McGowan observes, and I quote, while Christmas traditions vary the world over, gift-giving is a central Practice just about anywhere Christ's birth is celebrated. Sometimes, uh, she writes, gifts are exchanged on December 6th, the feast of the day of Saint Nicholas, and sometimes on Twelfth Night, the last day of Christmas, but most commonly on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Many people look ...to the gifts of the Magi is the original inspiration for Christmas giving. But how the Magi's gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh... ...for the Christ child transformed into the gift-giving extravaganza... ...Christmas has become is a long and complicated story. And she is absolutely right. How far even the church and Christians have moved from Christmas and its original intent and meaning um, to a gift-giving extravaganza. Well, in our final sermon for Advent 2023, this fourth Sunday of Advent, I hope to explore this theme of gift-giving in light of the fulfillment of the promises that the living God has made to his people through Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that I can make this clear from an Old Testament story that Stan read just a portion of for us out of Hebrews, and that really um, takes up a lot of Genesis 14. Uh, but this Old Testament story about a battle fought by kings and how a sheepherder defeats those kings and rescues his nephew. And if that's not enough, uh, this sheep herder, whose name is Abram, meets one of the most mysterious people in all of the Bible, a priest by the name of Melchizedek, who is both king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God. Now, uh, I'm told that in real estate, there is an important principle, location, location, and... There you go. Very good. That mantra will be helpful if we're going to grasp what's going on behind the scenes. As I pick up the reading in Genesis 14, and I want to read beginning uh, right around verse number 17. Abram is returning after the battle has been waged and he has won with his hired servants. And along with Abram in verse 17, we find the king of Sodom who went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. And then uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and we're told that he was a priest of the God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Abram then gives a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek. The king of Sodom and then, Sodom then says to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The writer tells us that Abram is met by this king, who earlier in the story we're told is named it's the name of Bera. He's the king of Sodom. And we're told that this, this meeting takes place in a valley, the valley of Shaba, a place that later became known as the King's Valley or the King's Dale. Scholarship places this valley just outside of the city of Jerusalem, uh, near the brook Kidron, where you might recall in the story of the Passion of Christ, he crosses over on the night of his betrayal into the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's the location uh, of this meeting between Abram, Melchizedek, and the king of Sodom, Bera. And and in this meeting, we have uh, Melchizedek, and uh, we have uh, the man who is uh, called the king of Salem and the priest of the most high God. Along with, you know, this, these people, we need a little help on the location. It's Where it's located, but then in, in the Hebrew, names mean things. They mean things. And this, this place called Shabbat carries with it the meaning of an even plane. Or a place thought of, of equal and worth. And so what we, what we begin to learn as we think about this, this meeting. Is that in this valley, in this place, a test is presented to Abram. It's a place of testing. Where you have the king of righteousness and you have the king of Sodom with Abram, God's chosen man. So this testing is is not just in a physical location, but we ought to note how close in proximity righteousness is to evil. Abram is literally in the middle. On one side is Melchizedek, a man identified as the king of righteousness. On the other side of Abram is Bera, king of Sodom, whose name means evil. And, and so Melchizedek gives to Abram a gift of wine and bread. Those are nice gifts. But really, nothing in comparison to what Bera is ready to give. What Bera is ready to give are the possessions of two principal cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we have this, this, this test that is set up Will Abram, will God's chosen man, take the gift giving extravaganza offered by Bera, the evil one? Or will he be content with the gifts that Melchizedek, whose name means my king is righteousness, provided? What will Abram do in the valley of decision? When things appear on the surface to be of equal worth and value, what will he do? (coughs) The response of Abram then is instructive as it establishes a guiding principle for all like us who are faced with decisions in places where compromise would be very easy to justify. If we pull this story forward and we stick it into our lives today, we are faced with decisions every day where compromise of our faith and virtue and principles would be easy to justify in light of the world in which we live. And after all, Abraham risked a great deal going off to battle with his hired servants to fight the, the kings. And, and, he, and we were told that he already had done his Christian duty. He gave his tithes to Melchizedek, king of Salem, the priest of the Most high God. So I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't Abram be justified in, in thinking, well, I risked a lot for the cause I Gave my tithe to the king of righteousness. What's wrong with me now taking and increasing my own wealth? Which it would have done significantly. In in a time when wealth mattered, uh, especially material goods mattered. And Abrams, Abram's faced with this. I mean, why shouldn't he take the payoff? Why shouldn't we take the payoff? Why not take the goods, head back home to the oaks of Mamre and live better than you lived previously? If you listen carefully to what Abram says, we find godly wisdom in verses 22 and 23. Abram says to the king of Sodom, I have sworn... To the Lord God Most High. Let me say that again because we live in a in a time when our our words are very loose. Abram says, I have sworn to the Lord God most high. And, And then Abram recognizes that the Lord God most high is possessor of heaven and earth. And then he says, I will not take a thread or a sandal, thong, or anything that is yours. And here's how Abram rationalizes this. Because he doesn't want the king of Sodom to be able to say, hey, Abram, I've made you rich. This passage has overtones. When our Lord Jesus Christ was in the valley, and the wilderness being tempted by the personification of evil, Satan himself. Abram must have understood and realized that all of the possessions that the king of Sodom has actually falls under, you know, the Lord God Most High, who is the possessor of heaven and, and of earth. Abram gives us a path of wisdom to follow, a path that the church needs to clue in on and get straight in its mind because compromise takes place all the time in the church with respect to what we have sworn, allegiance to God Almighty, possessor of heaven and earth in the name of Jesus, and then what becomes convenient in our day-to-day lives. You see, what Abram understood is that although he was in the valley of equal worth or value, the gifts offered to him, which were massive gifts, were not of equal worth or value. Abraham was a trader. He was a sheep herder. He was a Bedouin. He moved from place to place. He made his money off trading. He understood what was valuable and what was not valuable, and he knew that to take what Sodom offered would not be a good trade because it would mean losing the blessing of God. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be very hard to discern in this life. But as I have tried to say often over a number of years now, nothing is neutral. What the world is offering to us that looks benign is not if it kills your soul. It's hard to discern. It's hard for young people to discern. It's hard for our children to discern when the lines are so blurred today as to what is good and what is evil and what we should be doing and what we should should not be doing. But, But what have we learned in this Advent season? If you have chosen to pay attention to Advent... As a season of penitence, as a season of examination, not getting to Christmas too quick because you've paid attention to Advent, to what it really meant for Jesus to come in his humiliation, what it means for Jesus to return again to judge the living and dead, what it means that Jesus is present with us today. If you've chosen to follow that path of wisdom and have your thinking formed over these last four weeks, you might remember that all of it is predicated on a promise. A promise that God made. A promise that God began to act upon after, immediately after the failure of Adam in the garden. And you might recall that it is God who prepares the world for the coming of his anointed one. Why did Micah write, Trisha read it for us, right from Micah 5, why was that written? So that, right, when the Magi come to Jerusalem, asking the question, where is the king of the Jews? The unfaithful priest say to the wicked king, oh, Micah tells us, Bethlehem of Ephrata, least among the tribes, nevertheless, out of you will the ruler come forth. God prepared the world for the coming of his Messiah. The promise acted on, preparations taking place. You you see, ultimately, the story we're reading from Genesis 14 is not a story about Abram. It's a story about the living God of Abram who took on flesh and then withstood the task to compromise. And, And I want to remind us that the valley of decision for Jesus came every moment of every day in the life of Jesus, would he he withstand the test to compromise or would he live faithfully? Just as Abram had evil on one side and righteousness on the other, Jesus, every day of his life, is surrounded by evil. It's the deepest, darkest day when everyone forsakes him. And his obedience is made full as he goes to the cross. Would he fulfill the law's demands or would he falter? Would he receive the gifts from his father or pursue the gifts that the evil one offered him? The test, you know, that Abram faced was significant, but it would not change the world. On the other hand, Jesus... If Jesus fails the test, the world is doomed. But instead, Jesus passes the test. When he is fastened to a cross, when he dies in accordance with the scripture, the gift of eternal life is one. It is given to us. It is in every way a gift-giving extravaganza. The gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ is the gift literally That never stops giving. It never stops giving. And it was on full display. in The darkest day of humanity when Jesus fastened to a cross destroys the enemies of death and sin. And he wins victory for for his people. Some years ago, I was given a very, very special gift by a, a wonderful friend. And it hangs every year on our Christmas tree. And uh, I really like the gift uh, as an ornament because it's a guitar. It's about that long. And it has a button on it. And when you push the button, Johnny Cash sings. (laughs) Love is a burning thing. (laughs) And it's wonderful. Unless... Unless some of the little ones keep pushing the button. (laughs) And then it gets moved up the tree. (laughs) I I fear that's how people treat Jesus. They get tired of hearing him. Being faced with the decision... choose when righteousness is close and evil is close they just move Jesus up the tree like stay there for a while you know if you're not familiar with the full story concerning Jesus you should reread that passage that Stan read so well for us this morning you should listen with great care to what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 7 and verse 24 and 25. That Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds a priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. That... that that middle perspective of Advent, why it is so important to have a good Advent practice to remind us that today, right now, our great King, our high priest, is living to make intercession for us. So I don't know about you, but there have been too many times in my life when I've moved Jesus up the tree because I didn't want to hear and want to listen. When I have Taken a bad trade and received the gifts of this world instead of Christ more fully. But I have a Savior, and you have a Savior who lives today, not just to forgive your sins kind of abstractly, but to stand on your behalf where Abram stood between righteousness and evil and to plead for your soul to make the wise decision the wise choice what is your response going to be to this have we have you come to jesus for forgiveness of sins do do your discipleship practices help you receive him do our discipleship practices help us receive him as we gather in our common confession as we call to mind our baptism as we come to him at this table You you, you might remember in a similar way that Melchizedek offers bread and wine to, to Abram. Jesus offered bread and wine to his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. And he said, take, eat, drink, this is my body and blood. But you remember what the disciples did immediately thereafter? They fled into the darkness of the night. But here we have Abram making a wise choice. And we as disciples are in the valley of decision in a world filled with compromise. We are in a valley of decision. Will we refuse the gifts of Bera, king of Sodom, the evil one? Or will we be satisfied with the simple gifts that Jesus has given to us of eternal life, life today in him? The very well-written essay by Jude Armstrong is also a strong exhortation for us to make wise decisions. It's on the front of your bulletin. I would encourage you to read it. Let me just quote one small part and join his exhortation to the church. We are called to continue the work of Jesus on earth as we love and care for one another, as we spread the gospel to all nations, as we advance the kingdom of God, if we will make this wise and bold choice, if we will follow the king of peace and full obedience, if we will stop compromising with the demands of this world, then we too will share, right? And be able to give the gifts that are so needed in the world in which we live. You know this location of the Valley of Shava comes up one other time in the Old Testament, and that is in the story of Absalom's rebellion. You might recall, the son of David rebels against God's rightful king. And what we're told is that in that valley, the Valley of Shava, Absalom, who has no heir, he has no son, builds himself a monument to himself. And then he names it after himself. And I think this is a very fitting image as we come to the final Advent sermon. In this life, you can choose to compromise with the riches that this world offers and build a monument to yourself, or or you can worship the living God through his son Jesus, the faithful one who has kept all of God's promises those promises that are secured for eternity, for we are in Christ, the one who came born of the Virgin Mary. Those promises secured for we are in Christ, the one who is coming in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. And the promise is kept by the one who is present among us right now. So let me pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Town Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkee Town, please visit our website at www.durkeeTown.org.